0: I'm jumping in with a quick message that I've added to all HR Coffee Time episodes to let you know that my group programme, Inspiring HR, is back. In case you haven't heard of it before, it's an intensive six week programme for mid and senior level HR and people professionals. So if you're an HR business partner, HR manager, head of HR, or HR director, Or the people equivalent, so a people business partner, people manager, head of people or people director, and you'd like to build your confidence, your credibility and your impact at work, Inspiring HR could be perfect for you. We get started on Wednesday the 5th of June 2024 when we'll be meeting up over Zoom for two hours every week. The group sessions are a blend of group coaching, training and facilitation. They're supportive, encouraging and practical, and each week has a slightly different focus. So in week one, we look at setting yourself up for success. Week two is about boosting your confidence. Week three focuses on being strategic in your role. Week four is all about building key relationships. Week five takes a deep dive into influencing at a senior level and the final week looks at planning for the future. There's a link with the full details in the show notes for you or you can learn more by going to my website Bright Sky Career Coaching, clicking on services and then clicking on Inspiring HR Group Programme. I would love to have you join us and to get to know you throughout the programme, but if you have any questions about inspiring HR at all, please feel free to ask by getting in touch through the website and I would be very happy to answer them for you. Hello and welcome back to HR Coffee Time with me, Faye Wallace, career coach and founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching. You are in for a treat today because you're about to hear from the fabulous Ginny Rasmal, and she is going to be sharing her tips and insights into how to handle conflict at work confidently. I don't know how you feel about conflict at the moment, for me personally it's something that I used to avoid as much as possible because I really didn't like it and I just found it very stressful. In my ideal world, I just wanted everyone to get along and for conflict not to exist. But of course, I've learned over the years that that approach is not a good idea. It only ends up leading to more stress in the long run because of course, conflict is never going to go away completely. It's always going to exist in some form or another or crop up at some time or another. In fact, you probably see it popping up all the time throughout your career especially because you work in HR and that means that you probably don't only have to handle conflict situations for yourself but you may also find yourself being asked to help people within the organisation resolve conflict as well. So whether you're like me and you don't love conflict but you can handle it if you have to or you're totally fine with conflict but maybe you don't fully understand why it's such a problem for other people or whether you're like I used to be and avoid it completely at all costs. No matter how you feel about conflict, I really think that you're going to find this episode helpful. I hope you enjoy it. Ginny, it's so lovely to have you here today. Thank you for being a guest on the show for me. Thank you for having me. It's really nice to be here. And it would be wonderful if before we dive into all of the main tips and advice that you've got, if you could just explain who you are what the Ivy way is and a little bit of background about you and your business.
1: Yeah, of course. So my name is Ginny, I run a company called the Ivy way, and I work with a mixture of corporate and startup companies, helping them think about how they communicate, so that might be giving people coaching around pitching or how they present themselves, but also in how they navigate tricky conversations, like giving feedback or navigating conflict. So a whole range of different communication devices and techniques. Brilliant.
0: Thank you so much for that quick introduction. I'd be lovely to know a little bit about your background before because it well, I think it's really interesting.
1: Yeah. So I originally trained as an actor and uh, spent a, a couple of years doing doing a bits on stage, a little bit on uh, for TV as well. And then realized that I loved to see where else you could use different drama devices, different theatre techniques in the workplace as well. So I originally worked for an organization that coached young people from various disadvantaged backgrounds of how to get back into work, um, how to use different different, uh, communication devices as well to put themselves forward, to present themselves in the best possible way. And, And then I realized that the people I was coaching them to get into work with needed some of this technique just as much needed help on how to present with confidence or how to navigate conflict well. So I set up my company and started working predominantly with startups at the beginning and then moved into working with corporate companies like Microsoft, Google, IKEA, Salesforce, helping uh, doing group coaching and helping individuals work out how to uh, communicate with confidence, how to make sure that they're they're speaking in a in a succinct way that has impact for the audience or whoever's listening to them. Well, it's wonderful to know that you're going to be sharing
0: some of your fantastic knowledge with everybody listening today. So thank you so much. And I thought it would be good for us to start off with the first question on what is conflict? I always think it's really important that everyone knows exactly what it is that we're talking about.
1: So how would you define conflict? What does it mean to you? Mm. Well, the the piece just before that I always think is interesting is a definition of or an an explanation of why conflict even exists, because it means different things to different people, right? But there's um there's somebody called Nate Rager who's a um an expert in conflict, and he says that conflict exists when there's a gap between what somebody expected and what they experience. So you expected one thing, you experienced something different, a conflict arises. And he also has a really good definition of what good conflict looks like, which is a shared struggle towards a creative outcome, which preserves the dignity of of all parties. So it's this, and I love the phrase, the shared struggle, because we have so many different connotations and often negative connotations when we hear the word conflict, there's lots of different energies or experiences we've we've all all had. But um, this shared struggle and this creative outcome is much more positive language and sets quite a nice foundation for what you could achieve in those more difficult conversations.
0: I love those
1: definitions.
0: I'm now wondering Mm, because I've I've actually been organised this week and warned you that I'm going to ask you for a book recommendation at the end. I'm wondering if you're going to recommend his book or if it will be something else. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I'll have to wait on Tenserhooks to find out. Well, I think that's such a fantastic definition because for so many people, I think conflict is seen as something to be avoided at all costs. Mm, mm. I know for sure at the beginning stages of my career, that was certainly how I felt. For many of us, conflict is something that feels very uncomfortable. So it's easy to shy away from. I have to work really hard at not shying away from it and buying into those definitions. So I'm sure all of your advice is going to be helpful
1: for me too. (laughs) Absolutely. But I I think you're not alone in that as well. There are so many people who say to me, just even thinking about having a tricky conversation with me, with sorry, with somebody else makes my heart start to race and I feel my palms getting sweaty. We have, we have a, a physical response to those sorts of moments and interactions. And um, there's a, another great conflict expert called Kwame Christian. And he says that what we often experience in that moment of conflict or when we're thinking about conflict is an amygdala hijack. So it's that part of our brain which is actually uh, based in quite a prehistoric part of our brain in some ways. It's otherwise known as the lizard brain. And it's not particularly well formed. And so when we sense this feeling of fear, of our stomach starting to churn at the thought of facing somebody and having to to talk to them or address them of something that has has concerned you or you've been um, upset by, that part of our brain has this, this, we get this burst of adrenaline, cortisol, and it gets overrun with, with emotion, with stimulus. And it's really hard to be logical in those moments. That's why we sometimes, we, what we wanted to say and what we actually say is very, very different. And it's only when we look back, and we're thinking, gosh, what on earth was I doing that we might realize actually something else was at play. We maybe felt very overwhelmed in that moment. And that's why that happened. You have just
0: articulated that brilliantly. I talked about the lizard brain, but I didn't Mm. call it that a little while ago on the podcast, actually, when I was talking about goal setting and how Mm. sometimes actually it's our sort of inner critic that starts to take over. Like, oh, you can't do that. That's going to be too hard. You're going to fail. And again, it's another example of these sort of really primitive functions that our brain has unfortunately starting to take over but I love the way you just explained that so well with all the science behind it and everything so thank you Ginny that's
1: brilliant. No it's all yeah and I think it is there's so many different applications for that aren't there and I said at at the beginning that I also do some pitch coaching and people experience a really similar feeling when they they stand up and they're on stage they're about to speak it's again that burst of adrenaline that feeling of that your leg starting to shake or your voice starting to wobble again that's often that that prehistoric part of your brain kicking in for you <laughs> at the worst possible moment <laughs> it's so annoying isn't it hopefully at some point we're going to evolve enough that <laughs> it, <it's, laughs>
0: this, will, this will all disappear but so getting back on track with conflict at work there are so many different opportunities for conflict to rear its head So for the person who's listening to this right now who works in HR, it could be that they're experiencing conflict, whether that's with a colleague, their boss, someone on the senior leadership team, or it might be that they can see there is a team where a lot of conflict exists and they want to be able to support that team. Or perhaps, which unfortunately does happen quite a lot, is they can see there are two employees within the organisation who are sort of locked (laughs) in really unhealthy conflict that's that's getting them nowhere so given the fact that there are so many different scenarios where conflict can show up what mistakes do you see or hear
1: people making in these sorts of situations mm. one of the most obvious mistakes on the mistakes i see most is just not listening well enough not listening properly We tend to go into conflict with everything being through our lens or our framework of understanding. And it's really, really hard to see the other person's perspective. So we'll often enter a conversation and we are expecting some sort of attack. So we hear them attack when somebody's speaking. We we are looking out for those words to cement our viewpoint or our positioning on something. And then we naturally attack back. So this is more of an extreme example, but you might then say something which is slightly more inflammatory because you think you've heard something inflammatory in your direction. And then the final part of that is you receive attack. So it actually creates this real cyclical nature of the cause of our starting position is I'm I'm in the right, the other person is in the wrong, they're probably going to come at me with certain things. The rest of the conversation rolls out in that nature and it's very hard to then reposition it and to start from a different framework. So that, that leads to quite bad listening often. So instead of actually being curious about what the other person might have to say, we've started with a real position of certainty. This is what I think, I'm probably not going to change my position that much on it. So we don't ask any questions. We don't have much more clarity from that conversation because we're just doing everything we can to cement our own point. And then um, there's a there's a great metaphor I read recently about conflict being like this really tangled ball of wool. And it's really, really when you look at it, you're thinking, I can't even see where one end of the string is and the other piece starts. It's just very knotted and and messy. And it's our job to work with the other person to try and untangle that ball of wool and work out what are what are the different threads of this conversation. How is the other person thinking? What are they feeling? What's my position, and how can I t- articulate that clearly? Rather than coming from a position of I'm feeling attacked, I'm going to attack back. It doesn't doesn't generally bear much fruit from that sort of conversation. But that that usually is our our default position in in certain conversations. So the key problem really there
0: is not listening. And yeah. having given that little bit of advice then on how important it is to listen, I know that you also have some fantastic frameworks that you're going to share with us on on how to not make those mistakes and how to handle conflict. So would you be happy to talk us through some of those? Yeah,
1: of course. Yeah, so the, the flip side of the, the bad listening piece would obviously be good listening, but it's worth speaking through what that actually looks like. In Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he says that we have to use first Uh, or seek first to understand and then be understood. And that's definitely the opposite of, of our position sometimes in tricky conversations. So start by listening well. And what that really looks like is first of all, just being quiet asking maybe starting by asking a question so some some good questions might be what do you feel happened here so if there's some sort of conflict between two people whether it's that you're mediating that conversation or you're directly in a conversation with the other person asking for them to explain from their perspective what happened and that not being a loaded question in any way but just simply what do you feel happened what went on what did you experience and those open questions are so important because you're literally opening the conversation up so anything that starts with what who when where why or how is usually an open question Something which is a close question, there'll be one of two answers, and um, and it doesn't really bear, it doesn't really expand that much or allow the other person to expand on what they're thinking. And once you've asked that question, then be quiet. Allow them to actually say what they have thought, what they've experienced, what they're feeling, and try to not interrupt. One of the, the best things you can do is allow the other person to feel heard when you've been in tricky conversations for for the listeners when you've experienced that yourself what you'll know is it's actually quite disarming when somebody genuinely listens and asks questions allows you to understand allows you to understand what's happening and again at Dana Cusperson, she's my go to so I probably quote her quite a lot she says how we listen determines what's possible in a situation so you're then just laying laying a really good groundwork or foundation so once you've listened and try to um leave a bit of room for silence then see if you can empathize with what they're saying if they're talking you through something they they feel you might have done to them or some sort of offense that you might have caused so it might be something as simple as you were late a couple of times for a meeting and and hear that just try and, and listen and and not not jump in and and defend yourself be be empathetic how might that have made them feel and then um the next part to that Uh, There's a a great framework, which is called I see, I feel, and I need. And what that looks like is, say if somebody was late into a, a meeting, what we could do is say, you are always late to meetings and you make me feel so frustrated when that happens. Now, the two errors there are being unspecific. So you always, you sometimes, you never is very very unspecific you're not giving a a time or a date so it's you're going to naturally make that person want to defend themselves because it sounds like a real blanket statement the second the second fault there is you made me feel x because you're actually putting your emotion what you experienced onto the other person you're attributing that feeling with them they've made you feel something instead what you could do is change that that sentence give a really specific example last wednesday when you were 10 minutes late for that meeting so that's the i see part and then you go on to say what you felt i i felt frustrated you might even explain why it could be because i wanted we wanted to make a really good impression for that client and i could see that they were they were waiting for for a whole 10 minutes and then the final part would be what what is it you need or would have wanted so you could say something like next week for the for the meeting we have with that client do you mind turning up on time or even a couple of minutes early i'll be on i'll be on zoom two minutes early so we can always have a chat before that meeting starts and what you'll find hopefully with that sort of framework is that you are again disarming you're you're coming from a position which changes from this you language to the i language and it's much harder for somebody to feel attacked when you're using that language instead.
0: So one of the messages I'm taking away from that really helpful example, thank you, Ginny, is that actually when someone gets angry, or perhaps not angry, of course, people react to conflict in different ways, don't they? So it could mm. be they go completely silent or or start being passive aggressive or or they get really angry. Mm. But actually that is partly because they they feel that they're being attacked and so by using Mm. that method it's disarming them but what if the method doesn't work enough what Mm. if actually that person is particularly sensitive or there's been a long history of conflict between these two people so if Mm. that first try hasn't worked and the person either erupts or goes silent or starts Mm. being passive aggressive
1: what Mm. would your recommendation be for sort of stage two Mm. Hmm, it's a good question, because it doesn't always work. And we we go into conversations sometimes with best, all best intentions, really hoping that something is resolved. And actually, what might come out is more of an explosive conversation or that cementing of this is what I think, and actually you think the opposite. So the next step from that, if you, if there hasn't really been much much wiggle room, what I'd always try and do at the end of it, even the first conversation when it's been a bit inflammatory, is maybe just to reflect on what the current positioning is, even if it's just stating the obvious and to say, okay, it sounds like what you're thinking is X, uh, or invite the other person to, to describe how they're thinking, what they're feeling at that point, and then do the same yourself. And even if it is just that you you leave that conversation knowing, we are, we're actually we've we've stayed where we began where we we've we've finished where we started that conversation and that wasn't particularly easy that's sometimes not necessarily a bad thing and when the relationship is close the stakes are higher that's sometimes more likely to happen so the next step might be that you have a second conversation and again try and plan that in give um create a time I think when we're doing a lot of things on on Zoom and Teams it sometimes feels a little bit more like neutral territory anyway. But if you are having that conversation in person, then find a neutral place to have that rather than it being on one person's turf, because that can sometimes feel like there's a slight power in it being on one person's turf over the other. And see if you can. There's a a couple of questions I'd suggest. And I'm just going to look at my notes for a second, because, again, open questions are always really helpful. Um, But the next question might be what what is important to you in this situation so starting from that position of what what would they they like the outcome of this to be or um what are some obstacles to that happening getting them again to just express what what they feel might be getting in the way so still trying to open that conversation up i think um to to go back to to your original question there they sometimes if the conversation is really inflammatory if it's getting slightly out of out of hands maybe a slightly um exaggerated way of describing that but sometimes it's okay just to hit pause because nothing really happens not not much good really is able to happen unless it's you've got a, a brilliant mediator in the room with you but if it's just the two of you alone or three of you alone then sometimes the conversation just needs to end there's not much point just trying to continue and it's worth calling time out and giving a bit of space to to be reflective and to see what what other learnings you might gain in the meantime but um but it's I think it's worth making the point that there's there's not always there's only so much you can do to change how the other person is acting or responding but you are definitely responsible and should be in control of how you are responding in that moment and one thing I'd suggest if it feels like you're at a bit of a loggerhead is to sit down and see if you can see the story from their perspective. So what I mean by that in storytelling language in a conflict, we're usually the protagonist or the hero, the other person is the villain. So I'd sit down and literally write out what the version of that might be if instead the other person was the hero or the protagonist and I was the villain in that story. And it doesn't mean this is always the right, that this this is actually the truth. Sometimes actually you really have been wronged by the other person. But in situations where there's a little bit more of both parties might be at fault, try and sit down and see from their perspective because that might give you a new piece of information or help just widen your gaze a bit. Whereas we're usually quite laser focused. Uh, we don't necessarily see just all of the other details and pieces of information when we're, yeah, when we're just determined to to try and stand our ground and fight our point so that that sometimes helps but um but it's it's always okay to to leave the conversation just to hit pause if it's actually not getting anywhere that's sometimes the best thing to do in the moment they're such brilliant tips i love the one about
0: thinking of it from their point of view so okay you're right we are all walking around thinking that we're we're the hero in the story of our own (laughs) lives whether we mean or not. if if we were a movie just we're all going to put ourselves as the main character I suppose absolutely because we're you know we're 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 the ones living this life so the idea of actually thinking oh let me see this from their point of view they're the hero and I'm the bad guy Mm. (laughs) what is it that could be happening I think that That sounds like a really simple way of being able to help you reframe things and see
1: it from their point of view. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It does. No, I was just going to add it sometimes helps you find neutral ground where you didn't feel there was any at all. So you might just find this one thing that you actually do agree on. And it's worth then trying to explore that a little bit more. So you might have very different opinions about a few things, but actually do have a slightly, slightly more similar perspective on on something. Whether it's just both what you are uh, are needing, is the one thing that drives drives a lot of conflict. Is there's an unmet need there. Somebody wanted something to happen, it hasn't happened. Sometimes the, the need on both ends is actually relatively similar. There might be different strategies people are using to try and make get those needs met. But you know, we we have basic needs as human beings to feel safe, to feel protected for the community. There's there's lots of research out there which suggests what are what we basically need, and therefore, when that's not being met or we feel there's been something of that's been robbed from us or been in conflict with that, how we then react to try and make sure that doesn't happen again or that need is met that's really
0: interesting, and
1: I can see that a lot actually when
0: I have been coaching people in the senior leadership team and there may be two people who are at loggerheads, they they won't agree about a particular strategy or a plan or a way forward. And actually, what you're saying there is so true. Often, they have got the same need, they've got the same Mm want, they want the organisation to do really well. Mm -hmm. It's just that they've got different thoughts on how they go about doing that and you can it's very easy for them to lose sight of the fact that they both want the best thing and Mm. it's not actually that they can't stand each other that that's just the conflict that's arisen so it's getting Mm. them back to that point to see hang on a minute you're both on the same page here so how can we take
1: take things forward so yeah good example oh I think (laughs) it's true and I and I guess what you're saying there is that what sometimes happens is we get so focused on how something is being communicated that we forget the what or the why behind what they're actually trying to say. We, we As you say, we both have this this need for the, or this um, desire for the organization to do well, how we're communicating that might be slightly different or some specifics might even be slightly, slightly different, but the big picture is the same. There's, and there's another, another really good tool or uh, framework, which is, thinking about personality and how it plays into how we communicate there's lots of different behavioral or uh, personality profiling tools out there one that I often refer people to because it's just very simple and easy to understand is called the color profiles which is by a company called see me as in the letter c and then the word me me and they break down uh, personalities into four or behavioral behavioral types into four colors red blue green and yellow And just really simply, blue is often a a personality who's great at problem solving, good with the detail. Red is somebody who's very direct, gets straight to the point, good at just making sure everyone understands the purpose. Yellow might be somebody who's quite extroverted, understands the big picture, um, very charismatic, energetic in how they communicate. And then a green might be somebody who's very democratic, great at pulling different people into a conversation, usually slightly more of a reflective personality and when you do this this profile and it's it's easy to find online as well and you'll see immediately what what your default or your two sort of default behavioral styles might be what you also see is that you probably probably communicate in conflict out of that style as well so some people will just be great they're getting straight to the point they have one thing they want to say they'll just communicate it really directly the uh somebody who's on the opposite side of that might actually be very good at trying to um maintain or keep the keep the relationship going so they might in that instance refer uh, sorry prefer making sure that the relationship stays intact through that conflict rather than necessarily what they're saying being heard so there's lots of different defaults in that but the the original reason I mentioned that is because um when when conflict arises and it's just b- between a bit of a personality clash it's helpful to think about how the other person or other people often like to be communicated with. And if there's something that you can do within your communication, which matches their style, or almost mirrors that, because sometimes how we're communicating doesn't actually land with the, the same impact um, for the other person. So you might need to switch things up sometimes and actually give some of the details or be a little bit more big picture if that's the style or the nature of the person that you're speaking with. So there's, there's lots of different tools out there that, that look at behavioural profiling, but that might be one to look at as well. I couldn't agree more with you, Ginny, about how helpful that
0: can be. I haven't actually heard of that version. Could you tell mm. me again what it was called? It was called See Me or Colour Profiles. Ah, okay, yeah. So I'm certified to use DISC, which is ah, yeah. based on exactly the same yeah, theory. Yeah. In fact, you'll find that lots and lots of the behavioural profiling tools are based on very similar stuff so it's it's extremely similar to insights as well I just think that DISC or the version of it that you're describing is incredibly powerful Mm. at helping us to build relationships with people who we may find challenging at work so for anyone listening right now if this has piqued your interest if you want to hop back <laughs> a few podcast episodes I've actually recorded one which is called building relationships with difficult people and talks about what Ginny's just been describing in real detail looking at the di- different disc profiles which to the colours that you were just saying
1: that sounds so good I'm gonna have to give that a listen myself babe that sounds amazing <laughs> well you can let me know what you think I'm sure you probably yeah. have loads of insights that you can add <laughs> to
0: it from a communication yeah, standpoint And then moving on slightly from that, thinking about actually how we react differently to each other. I know that there's certain language that can be helpful and certain language that is unhelpful. And you've already touched on some of this, like not using vague uh, statements, like you're always late when, and actually being more specific. Are there any other tips around language that you can share with us?
1: Hmm. Yes, there's, there's a great distinction that's worth bearing in mind between observing somebody's behaviour and evaluating their behaviour. And you know when somebody's just observing you because they're usually using their senses and translating what they've seen or heard or experienced just in a very factual, matter-of-fact way. When you evaluate evaluate somebody's behaviour, you're usually making an assumption Around uh could be past experience or just jumping to a bit of a conclusion, and that again is where you'll find somebody being a bit bit defensive, so if somebody is um continuously turning up late for things, that's always my go to example, but if somebody's always turning up late for things, your assumption might be they're really lazy, but uh the evaluation if you were to evaluate that, it might just be literally you are two minutes late to the meeting on wednesday and then 15 minutes late to the meeting on friday and that's very different because you're not making or not putting on them what assumption you've jumped to it's more of just a stating the facts and, and presenting them in that way uh, so that's always a good thing to do the other piece i might have mentioned this just earlier is is trying to reframe the language away from you to i um, specifics always good as you just mentioned there and um, making sure people understand the context. So you're, so you're on the same page. You understand the situation you're both talking about. So there's not any ambiguity um, and any sort of fluffy language. And just a really simple thing actually is for people who do find getting their words out slightly harder a good tip is just to write down some bullet points before the conversation of what it is you might want to translate in the conversation i try and keep it to one thing so bring up one thing you're wanting to speak about rather than an entire list because that's where it gets really messy when somebody's feeling this assault of 15 things you want to bring to their attention just focus on one what's the most important thing that you want to bring up and when the relationship if it's a, with a new colleague or a coworker and there is not not a necessarily a, a solid base of a relationship there yet and of trust it might be worth bringing up a slightly smaller thing unless it's urgent to address a really big um a big uh, something that's a situation that's that's occurred then maybe start with something a little bit smaller try and have a good conversation and then move to something that's a little bit bigger but one thing and also the, the third thing i mentioned there is just use short sentences. That's, that's good for you and for the other person because the best thing about short sentences is it helps you breathe. And when you're nervous, your heart starts to race, your breathing becomes shallower. And it's really tricky to catch your thoughts, to catch your breath. So begin with short sentences. Try and be conscious of breathing at the end of the sentences maybe even rehearse what you're going to say. So you're sure that it's gonna come out in the best possible way without this very muddied, confusing way of, of speaking. I feel like I should be making notes through all this. There are so many
0: nuggets here. And for, again, anyone listening, I will put a lot of the detail and summarize what Ginny's been saying in the show notes. If you're not sure what the show notes are, all you have to do is tap on the episode that you're listening to, if you're listening to it on your phone, And scroll down and you'll see that there's actually a whole notes section underneath the audio of what you're listening to or otherwise you can also find the show show notes (laughs) on my website which is brightskycareercoaching.co.uk. So before we start to move to the end of our interview today Ginny there was a really important thing I wanted to ask you about which of course is the dreaded Covid. So we're all of our lives, all of our worlds have been turned upside down by COVID. Presumably it's had a massive impact on mm-hmm. conflict as well and actually how conflict is showing up nowadays for people. So would you
1: be happy to talk about that for a minute as well? Mm. Yes, I was I was just doing, doing a bit of research actually a couple of days ago into um, some of the, the statistics, some of the research into how how workforces how organizations have tried to navigate conflict during the last 18 months and there was a study done by the workforce institute and they found that 83 percent of uk employees have have felt like they're actually haven't been particularly well heard by their organizations or by companies that they're working for and there's been so many different issues that have come up for individuals because we've not been in person so those little things that you might translate when you are sitting next to your manager suddenly become a slightly bigger issue and actually take a deliberate booking of a meeting, bringing it up, which for some people feels harder to do that online because you don't necessarily get as big a sense about how somebody's feeling because you there's a limited amount of non-verbal cues that you pick up from somebody when you are sat across the screen. They're maybe muted or even with their camera off and you just can't see or get that, that same feedback. Um, and then the second study that was interesting was by ACUS and they were saying that when um, when an employee has discussed a, a certain conflict issue with uh, with their manager or a hr representative only 43% have actually reported that problem being resolved being having some sort of resolution to it and i think the thing with that is that often conflict needs several conversations we mentioned that earlier earlier on that sometimes it's that follow up piece which is really important to make sure it's scheduled and that, and people are busy people are time poor at the moment so that's sometimes hard to do so you have to be quite deliberate if you have had a conversation with somebody to then book in a second conversation or just to make a note, to set a notification in your calendar, to drop them an email a couple of weeks later and say, "What what's the latest? Do you, what else can we do to resolve this for you? Is there anything else we can do to help? Just to continue that, to keep the conversation nice and open. The And the other thing that I'd recommend is to try and create buffer between some of your calls when you are having these difficult difficult conversations because they're draining. So book in a 10 minute window just beforehand to gather your thoughts and do the same on the other side of that as well, whether it's that you just shut your laptop if you're able to for 10 minutes and just decompress, grab a cup of tea, go for a quick walk outside, do things to re-energize yourself because tricky conversations are tiring. So if anyone's read Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team, then you'll know this, this process, he calls it um, norming, storming and performing. And I might've missed one as one well in there. But uh, what he's saying is that often teams start from the space of uh, they have this normal way of working. We get We get used to certain patterns, whether that's different personalities within the team. And for actually for us to to really perform, to excel in the way that we work together, we have to go through this stormy period where you bring things up. It's, it's getting used to conflict, it changing the narrative from it, from it being this really horrendous thing that we dread and often put off at our own expense. And instead just thinking, I'm just gonna have a conversation. I'm gonna book a quick call, bring bring something up find a way of navigating or or negotiating this well and what you you'll hopefully find on the other end is a more healthy or healthy or repaired relationship that is so much better for having that conversation. Uh, Brené Brown is brilliant for for a, a podcast or for um some of her her top tips around conflict and the last time I was listening to one of her podcasts she mentioned a quote from somebody called Cheryl Richardson and this quote is brilliant. It said, when you avoid conflict to make peace with other people, you start a war within. So you actually make things worse for yourself often in our desperate attempt to just smooth things over, to keep on going and to not, uh, not disrupt that person's day of work or to not make them feel slightly more slightly uncomfortable we actually make ourselves feel worse in the process by just trying to push it all down and soldier on and it's not it's not healthy for us or for the people around us well that's a
0: really powerful message to start to end things on I think we now come to the end of our time together can I ask you to share your book
1: recommendation Mm, yes, my my favourite book on conflict, there's there's loads out there, but one of my, my favourites is by Dana Kaspersen. Uh, so that's D-A-N-A and then Kaspersen, C-A-S-P-E-R-S-O-N. And uh, it's called Changing the Conversation. And one of the reasons I love it is because it's so simple to read. On some pages, there are five words per page. It just has it right in the middle. So if for anyone that finds reading chunky lengthy books tricky this is for you and it gives lots of really practical examples so questions you can ask in conflict language to avoid different frameworks to practice so absolutely filled with golden nuggets of what to do to 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 tool up to better navigate those tricky conversations that sounds brilliant thank you so much Ginny and for
0: anyone who's listening to this and thinking oh, Ginny's fantastic, I must find out more about her work and connect with her. What's the best way of someone doing that?
1: So you can either find me on LinkedIn, that's one of the the best ways of getting in touch, or you can you can find me through my website. So that's theivyway.com. And feel free to drop me a message. I'd love to hear from you. If you've got any questions, anything that's come up for you, it would be really lovely to hear what, what those are. And if you're looking for some coaching for your team or for yourself individually, then again, I'd love to hear from you. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Ginny. Thank you very much for having me, Faye.
0: I really hope you have enjoyed this episode and that you're thinking about putting some of Ginny's tips into action. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast I have lots more guests scheduled and topics ready to cover but please do feel free to get in touch with me if there's something that you'd really like me to cover that would be useful for you and if you are enjoying the podcast please do go ahead and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or share it with a friend who you think it will be helpful for. Thank you so much and I look forward to chatting to you again next week.